Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod and the beginning of a new series, this time looking at the entire Bible. We're doing a Bible overview this year and we're starting in Genesis chapter 1. Which is a great place to start um, and it's um, it's a brilliant chapter. It's, I, like many parts of the Bible, I tend to know it best from the children's Bible, um, which I've read far too many times um, with little ones. But it's very interesting to me when you actually go back and find the distinctives and what is uh, really quite an exciting chapter with lots to learn from. It's not just God made the world, but lots of other stuff as well. And it's really wonderful um, in terms of engaging with non-Christians because everyone has an origin story. We need to know where we come from, who we are, where we're going. And actually the secular world around us has very bad answers to those questions. And then Genesis 1 gives us true answers, but also just much more wonderful answers. Yeah, and the we all have to operate with a sort of working um idea of it you know and whether i am just a, a a lump of nothingness that's heading nowhere really impacts my day-to-day life quite uh, a lot so t- yeah just these sort of anchors and um that help us understand really can impact yeah every part of life in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth i mean even that first sentence tells you so much doesn't it that god is there before time before creation he is the powerful creator. He's distinct from the creation itself. It's not like the Eastern religions where God is the world and the world is God and everyone's God. It's that, that there's a God on the one hand and then there's a things that he made on the other hand. And then as we go through this chapter, it's, we get to a working week for God. And in, I don't know what you achieved in this last week, Andrew, but God in a week made everything. And there's a lot of repetition, and maybe we'll start there because um, you can't help but notice it as you read it. And God said, um, and God saw, um, um, everything God does, he does by speaking. Um, everything he speaks into existence comes true, God said, and it was so. God said, let, let there be light, and there was light. And then God sees what is made. And then he evaluates it. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then at the end of the sixth day, it was very good. Yeah. And when you read it, you, it comes as a kind of drumbeat. And I think it's something like 10 times God said, seven times it was so, seven times God saw it was good. What, apart from just noticing this sort of God loves pattern and order, what, what would you do with this kind of data? I was just trying to think of what is the connection between those repeated motifs because, I mean, God said and it was so, I mean, that tells you a lot because simply by speaking, God causes things to happen and they happen exactly the same way as he says. And we kind of understand the power of words, don't we, in in human life. I mean, if Rishi Sunak says, the British Prime Minister says, let this happen, I guess the civil service immediately begins to obey his orders and if Joe Biden says, let there be missile strikes, then the missile strikes. I mean, words have power, but in God's case, they have more power. <laughs> you know, he just, what's it, Psalm 33? By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. God speaks and suddenly there's a universe and there's a big bang and there's millions of, of stars. So it tells you he's powerful and it's good and it tells you his word's good. I think the one that I was thinking about for the first time this year was 
God saw and it was good. And it's not just that God speaks a good word, but God speaks a word, it happens, and then God observes what happens and takes pleasure in it. Mm. And I, I now think it, what it means is that God is delighted by a world that matches what he says. So when God's word and reality are in, uh, you know, work together, when they, when they match each other, that is something that pleases God. And that, that sets us up for the next bit of the Bible story where things won't always match what God says. And of course, the world today, things do not always match what God says. And that grieves him. But when the world is the same as what he says, that's good because what God says is good and the world that matches it is good and, and God is delighted by that. And I guess that takes us right to the seventh day when God rests and enjoys and blesses what he's done. Yeah. And I guess we, we want to not give too many spoilers for next week, but that putting the fall of man straight after this, it does put it in a different light because when the, the serpent is making us doubt the goodness of God's word and we've just had again and again, what, you know, what you've just been saying, it, it makes the, the absurdity of the serpent's lies, you know, even more extreme. Hmm. Yeah. Um, we're talking about repeated things and there's repeated days, but the days come in a bit of a pattern. There's a sort of three plus three plus one adds up to seven. Do you want to talk us through that? Yeah, I think once you notice it, it's it's quite a clear patterning. So the, we begin in verse two with an, um, the earth was without form and empty. And so you've got two problems, um, formless, empty, and the first three days um, sort out the form problem and the f- second three days sort out the emptiness problem. So the, the different arenas are God makes the light, um, the sky, the seas, the dry land, the vegeta- vegetation, and then he fills them up. So instead of let there be light, he, he gives the sun and the moon, which are kind of um, filling up the, the, the space Instead of this, um, the, the area, the arena of the sky, now on day five, he gives birds to fill the sky instead of seas. He gives the fish to fill the seas instead of dry land. He gives the animals and the humans. So there's a there's two things. God makes the arena and then he, he fills the arena. I'm imagining in my head a, a table then. So day one matches day four. He makes the sun, the, sun, the day and the night. He fills the day and the night, sun and moon. Day two matches day four. Five. That's right. The, he makes the sky and the sea. He fills the sky and the sea, birds and fish. And then day three is dry land. And then matches day five. He, sorry, day six. He fills the dry land. And it's it's interesting because one thing that structure does is it emphasizes day seven. And we'll come to that in a minute. But day seven really is in a, in a category of its own. But it also um, helps us understand the vocation of humanity because... There's a sense in which when humans are called um, to have dominion and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, um, they are uh, in some ways continuing something that has already started. We, we are, um, sometimes we talk about a perfect world, which is true. There was, there was no problems with it, but it was unfinished. Um, it was immature or incomplete so there's different ways of using the word perfect aren't they so yeah if it's perfect in the sense of without evil then yes if it's perfect in the sense of the finished article then no there's actually a few different ways that we get that clear aren't there that this this is not 
the whole thing. It's just the beginning. It's the starting pistol. Go on. Well, I just yeah. think, well, one of them is just be fruitful and multiply, but it's not just humans who are told that. It's the fish are told that, the birds are told that. So a creation with only a few birds in it is not what God's hoping for. A sea with only a few whales and fish, he wants more. Um, a, a world with only one human in it is not what God wants. So, it, I mean, I think that just tells you it, in the rest of the Bible story, when everything goes wrong, it won't be enough just to restore things to Genesis chapter one. Mm. This isn't God's aim. This is just the start, the start on the journey towards God's aim. And, and God's starting a story rather than making a, a toy. He's, he's setting things up for us to then be agents on the stage and to play our part. And that's, that's part of the great dignity, um, of being, made in his likeness is that he hasn't done everything and then just said look at this he said come on this is you can be partners with me in this this is an amazing thing isn't it i mean we're talking about at the beginning of the podcast about the secular world and we we've got this crisis now in the world we don't really know what human beings are for and that even sometimes you get the idea that the world will be better off without us you know the whole rewilding um, enterprise, which I, I quite like that because I can claim that that's what I'm doing with my back garden. <laughs> yeah, but, right. um, but you know, if it, it would be much better if you took humans and human influence out of the planet, and then the Noah film, if you saw it in the cinema, is about you know Noah thinks maybe God wants to get rid of human beings because the animals are better off without them. But that that's really not the picture of creation. I mean, God, the world needs farmers and gardeners, and um, animals need farm people to look after them and there is a dignity that we do have a role and a central role in creation this this idea of god's image i mean that that's the thing that makes humans different right from the animals we're made in god's image but people have come up with all sorts of different ideas about what that might mean well i guess if you if you had to just go off the top of your head it's something that is different from the animals and like god and then you can just fill out well you could say Posable thumbs, uh, unlike the animals. I don't know. You could you could put all kinds of things. Does, that... does God have to pose for thumbs? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the basic idea of image is just that you look like something, doesn't it? And actually, in Genesis chapter five, you get exactly this meaning where Adam has a son, um, in his likeness, after his image, and he calls him Seth, and that just means Seth looks like his dad. You'd say he's the spitting image of Adam. So. If the fundamental meaning of image means you look like, and you suppose you get it also in Jesus' famous saying about should you pay taxes to Caesar, and he gets the coin and says, whose likeness is this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the picture on the coin looks like Sil- looks like Caesar, just like the picture on our coins is going to quite soon look like King Charles III, though mostly it's still his mother. Um, so you think we, it means we look like what God looks like, but of course the problem with that is that God's invisible. So how can you look like someone who's invisible? And I guess we're looking for likeness in not a physically visible way. I mean, of course, later God has a body when Jesus is born as a human being, but God in his essence is spirit. So what, what does it mean to look like someone who's spirit? Yeah, and, and I guess the, the clues in the passage, so when we get to verses 26 to 28, you get, um, let us make man in our image, and then immediately, what is their vocation? What are they called to do? Well, let them have dominion. And then you get the same again, 27, say God created man in his image, in the image of God. And then the next verse, um, be fruitful, multiply and have dominion. 
So both times it's image, dominion, image, dominion. And I think mm. we're meant to associate the two, that part of what it is to be in the image of God um, seems to be that we are to rule the world the way God would. We're to um, do... Um, we're, we're not um, overall in charge, God's God, but we're in charge under him, deputies, and um, mm. we're to do it the way he wants it done. Um, and I think that that's really useful when we can think um, about this phrase image of God and it gets applied later in the Bible to, to Jesus and um, he is the one who uh, is in the is the image of invisible God and that's Colossians chapter 1 Colossians 1 yeah and, and that's um, at least in part saying he completes the vocation mm. that humanity was given so he is the one who has dominion this is so interesting because I when I've I remember reading Colossians 1 He's the image of invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Um, and I I used to think of it as a God thing about Jesus. And I, I guess it is that because it, it goes on to say, through him all things were made. And he's the creator, not the creator. But there's a sense in which the title image of God is actually a, about Jesus' humanity as well. That Because in Colossians 3, we're renewed in the image of our creator as we conform to the likeness of Christ. So Jesus as, is images God as divine, because he's God, but he also uses God as the perfect human to reflect the vocation of God. Yeah. And we, when we're renewed in the image, it's both things, I guess, we get to be like God and to do the, the job that we were called to do, just like Christ has done. It's like in the Narnia books where the children become the kings and queens of Narnia. And that's exactly right, isn't it? The dignity as little, little rulers under King Aslan in Narnia, under King Jesus in for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, should we come on to um, the seventh day? Was there anything else you yeah, want? Yeah, well, I, yeah, on the way to the seventh day, why don't we talk about the sun? Because I think it will get us there. <laughs> yeah. Because well, there's a couple of things to say about the sun. Firstly, it's not called a sun. <laughs> it's called a big light. <laughs> uh, yeah, in verse 14, <laughs> let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. And it's not like the Hebrew... Moses doesn't know the word for sun because he used it later on. But I mean, one of the reasons for this is probably that um, Genesis is a, is a polemic against some of the pagan creation stories where the the planets become like gods almost and you wor- people worship the sun as a god. And No, no, it's, ju- it's just a light. Let's not give it a name. It's just the thing that God uses to light up the... So it, it, in one way, it, it's playing down the significance of the sun as just... You know, not something to be worshipped, but something God's put there. But then you you showed me just earlier a really cool thing about what the sun is for. Yeah, so this was new to me recently that um, the, well, the language in verse 14, let there be a lamp, it should be, in the expanse of the heavens. It's an unusual word that um, only gets used uh, later in the Pentateuch in the tabernacle when there's um, God puts a lamp inside um, the special tent that um, God's people build for him. Um, and even a bit later on, it says, let them be for signs and seasons. So I always took that to mean, oh, well, that's to tell you, you know, when it's spring, summer, autumn or winter seasons. Mm-hmm. And you know, this is when you plough, this is when you harvest. Um, actually, the, the language is um, for religious festivals. It's a very dis- unusual word for seasons. Um, so it's like um, it's saying that. The whole point of God setting up the physical world as it is, is to tell you when you can have religious festivals um, so that you can worship him. You can gather together for the right, you know, 
at the right moments in the year. It's the fact that school holidays in the UK are mainly Christmas and Easter. It's kind of right, actually. Yeah. They're religiously significant um, ways of worshipping the Lord Jesus or so, uh, how we do our calendar. And it's not, it's not just the fourth day, but e- even the structure, we, we mentioned the 331. Um, the seventh day is, is a Sabbath. It's a holy day. It's set apart. And, and that, again, it, it points to the fact that, that the climax isn't so much um, human beings being made, but humans, That's only day six, right? That, that happens on day six, and we're still not at the end. Um, and it's, we'll here, here enter the key players on the stage, but what for is the next thing. So we're made for uh, the, the rest with God, um, communion with God day. Let me just read the verses because they're lovely. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he'd done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So it's a day of um, rest, but not just I'll put my feet up because I'm tired, but I'm going to enjoy the fruit of what I've done. Look at this amazing world with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And look at these human beings that I'm sharing my rule with as they um, govern the world and subdue the world. And I'm really pleased with that, God says. And So just the idea of it headed for a future of enjoyment of God's labours. Mm. I love that. I mean, it's a great, you think, what is it about the future that we look forward to? The making, the putting of things right? Well, yeah, kind of, kind of putting things right, but certainly not a return to Genesis chapter one, but rather a fast forward to the day of completion and blessing and, and enjoyment. And one of the ways this gets picked up later in the Bible is in the, the Ten Commandments, where it wasn't that the this six plus one thing came into the world at Sinai. God had put it into creation. It's it's how we function best is we should have a one day focus on the Lord and what's to come. When you say the Ten Commandments, you're thinking about the Fourth Commandment. Exactly, yeah. Well, remember what, the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And the the reason given is because of in six days God made the world. So it refers back to this. Um, so it's in the Ten Commandments because... God wants this pattern of constantly remembering that creation has a goal. Um, and it's in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy, isn't it? Because, and this time remembering that we're rescued for a goal. So it's always pointing us forward, it's pointing us forward. And you, I think you just turned to Hebrews yeah. 4 in your Bible. Well, you could think we're over-reading it, saying it's about a goal at the end of history. But this is exactly the way the Bible interprets it. So this verse is quoted in Hebrews 4, 4, God rested on the seventh day from all his works, quoting Genesis 2. And then it says, verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God and the one who has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so it takes this verse from Genesis 2 and says it's ultimately talking about not rest in the promised land even or it's talking about the final new creation rest and this is what we're headed for. And it's just to go back to where we started. This is so much more positive than what the person next to you on the train or the other parents at the school gate think about the world. You know, I remember giving the analogy of getting on a train and asking a fellow passenger, excuse me, do you know where this train's going? And I actually have been in that situation <laughs> yeah, I before because yeah. I got on the wrong train. But, you know, you say to people about their life, do you know where this life is going? No, not really. Well, do you know where you got on this train? Where did you come from? I don't know. 
well, what are you doing on this train? I mean, it's just, that would be pretty foolish in, in life, but actually to be in the universe and not know where you came from and not know where you're going and not know who you are. Wow, we know where we came from. There's a God who made us by speaking mm-hmm. and all he said was good. And we know where we're going, a glorious rest of, of creation when it reaches its, its fulfillment. And we know who we are in the meantime, image bearers of God with incredible dignity. I mean, it's worth talking about these things to the other people at the office or the school because these are, these are good answers to the most fundamental questions and the secular answers are, are rubbish. Yeah. And then there's more good stuff to come. We're only at the beginning of a Bible overview and um, we're going to be back again um, next time. Just before we, we close, one of the things we're doing in our small groups at church is the envelope of fulfilment. And we just pick a verse. And we've already talked about lots of New Testament verses in this episode, but we just pick a New Testament verse that we think is a, a particularly fitting kind of culmination of these themes. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give the verse and you can say why it is cool. So the verse we chose for this week was 2 Corinthians chapter 4 um, and verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, it quotes in Genesis 1, so you can see the link, but tell us why it's a significant link. Well, it's saying that um, just as God did an incredible miracle to bring this world into being, he spoke. He does a comparable miracle in the life of a believer when he speaks his word, that he speaks the gospel, and they come to new creation life, as the next chapter says, 2 Corinthians 5. So it's saying that um, our God is the one who's behind not just creation, but um, our salvation. He's the one who spoke and he's the one who uh, who is bringing in a new thing in us, like we're a new creation. We hope you've enjoyed Grace Pod, the first chapter of the Bible. We've got a lot of the rest of the Bible to go. So I hope you'll stay with us. Please do hit subscribe and share it and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.